Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week, I will review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication, and this week, I am so excited because we get to talk about episodes one and two of the new HBO hit, that's right, the adaptation of the 2018 Stephen King novel, The Outsider. Uh, So when I'm recording this, this is uh, Friday the 17th, I believe it is, the 17th, um, and The Outsider uh, premiered this past Sunday, and we don't have that much longer to go before episode three. I have a lot of thoughts on The Outsider, um, but before I get there, I just want to be up front. Um, I'm going to spend quite some time reading some emails because I've received a lot of emails lately and then reading some iTunes reviews. So if you um, came for The Outsider review, just you know, keep scrubbing ahead. Um, I expect that this is uh, going to be probably an hourish episode, and I would say that the first 20 minutes or so are going to be dedicated towards uh, reading and answering listener email and some iTunes reviews. Just want to give you that that heads up, and just in case that this isn't for you, you can bow out now. Um, but anyone that has been sticking around for a while, thank you for coming back. New listeners who want to keep on listening, I think that you'll enjoy the Stephen King cast. So, all right, before we get any further, I want to start reading some listener email. Up first, we have Cosmo, who writes, Hey, CR, I recently ended a four-month reading dry spell by devouring The Outsider and The Institute back-to-back over the last couple weeks. Whew, I love both of these novels very much. I think I slightly prefer The Institute over The Outsider, but your enthusiasm bias towards The Outsider is infectious and makes me waver with my preference. As has been my ritual for the last two years, upon completion of a King book, I listened to your corresponding analysis for decompression and food for thought. You picked up on a pattern in these two titles that I began to take note of too. The mashing of two seemingly distinct plots and a good old genre blend. Even though I might prefer uh, The Institute just a bit more than The Outsider, the plot combining and genre hopping in the latter is done way more adeptly. And yeah, I would also love a whole novel about Jim, uh, Tim Jameson and Dupree, South Carolina. Maybe even five or six. That to me was the best part of The, the, the Institute. Um, Cot, another shared aspect that might become a new kingism is the respective Cotets covering up the bigger, more supernatural happenings and implications that took place in the climaxes of the stories in the name of preservation of the status quo and or the security of the surviving members. Spoiler alert, guys, for, for both uh, books. The characters from The Outsider conspiring the reframing of the guilt off of Terry and placing the perpetration of an unknown outsider and the characters of the Institute creating kidnapping stories. Any thoughts on this? I think with the last few years of King's output, we might be bearing witness to a new phase of King's works. Long days and pleasant nights, constant listener Cosmo. Cosmo, that's a great uh, and fantastic and insightful. This um, I, I need to think about that uh, a bit more, uh, but to me that that speaks of where Stephen King is. He uh, has lived the life, and he has seen that in life, you have to make compromises, and sometimes there is no true victory. It is just. Uh, the the status quo of compromise, which in of itself uh, is a true horror. And then we have Jeff, who writes, Fellow constant reader, 
My name is Jeff. I stumbled upon your podcast, and I must say you are an excellent podcaster and reviewer of King's works. Thank you for what you do. Thank you, Jeff, for the kind words. I was a little different growing up. As a kid, I was a perfect fit for books. However, my attention couldn't hold books. I grew up in the 80s, and although I loved to play pretend, I could much more easily focus on TV. Get Smart was my favorite show and movies. But I started to love books after I was made to read The Outsiders. That's the outsiders, plural, um, which to me could easily be a Stephen King story in a way. And in 1997, in 10th grade, I found myself working at a library. I had recently gotten into horror movies and had seen Kubrick's The Shining, so I grabbed Insomnia, the latest King book, in the small town library. I absolutely fell in love, and the rest is history. It's my favorite King book. Next is Salem's Lot, third is The Gunslinger. But that's it for now. I've only read the above plus Carrie, Firestarter, Cujo, Needful Things, Desperation, Green Mile, Misery, Pet Cemetery. I have not read, though I own the stand, the Tommyknockers, and the Dead Zone. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Jeff. Jeff, thank you for writing in, um, and, and let me know uh, how you feel once you read those books. James writes, Hi, Stephen King cast. I just realized I don't know your name, and I can't find it on your sites, but I found the podcast on my iPhone, and it's very good. You have great content, and I'm so sorry to hear about your dog and that roller coaster of emotions that you went through. Thank you so much. I can't imagine having to go through that with my own dog, but I'm glad the pup is okay now. I'm a new Stephen King reader. I finished It, The Outsider, and several short stories, including Children of the Corn, Elevation, Mile 81 so far. I am now starring Pet Cemetery, as I really want to read the book before seeing the new movie. Of all these books, I really loved It and The Outsider so far. I thought The Outsider was such an interesting take on a crime thriller. It was so black and white in the first half, and well-written. When The Supernatural kicked in, it really took me on a great ride, um, and the way Ralph evolved, spoiler alert guys, uh, essentially from an atheist to agnostic, and then finally a firm believer in The Supernatural was very believable. As an agnostic myself, I appreciate that because evidence really is important when considering the consequences of believing in things you don't necessarily prove. I look forward to reading the Bill Hodges series as well. Holly was such a lovable character in The Outsider. I was quite underwhelmed with Elevation. It's a great concept, but I feel the ending uh, was where the story really begins and I wanted more. So in a way, it was effective, but also disappointing. I wanted to make sure to mention how much I agree with you on The Haunting of Hill House. Mike Flanagan is quickly becoming a modern legend. I love every film so far, um, and Gerald's game was quite incredible. I love the story, and it was masterfully directed, even if a small concept. I agree it's not capable of truly showing off Flanagan's full potential because of the nature of the story and the isolated location making for a limited visual. The Haunting of Hill House was an incredible experience for me. I've never seen a series so cohesively written with the most intricate of detail, details carefully and thoughtfully placed. Not one line of dialogue in that series is unnecessary. In episode 5, The Funeral Parlor, was simply astonishing with long shots as well as the script itself. What a long episode of heavy dialogue in the first half. Yet I couldn't take my eyes off the screen and never got bored. If you are looking for new content to discuss on your podcast, I thought I'd suggest maybe having an episode where you cater to new readers a bit. Talk about your favorite books to those looking for thrills without getting into spoiler territory. I'd love to hear you talk about some underrated stories and talk about why they are great and why you feel, uh, why you feel some deserve their own movie. 
You have great opinions and insight, and I love your perspective on his books as well as the genre. It's nice to know someone else watched The Haunting of Hill House and noticed the technical achievements as well as the well-written story and effective scare sequences. I look forward to more from you. Best wishes, James. James, thank you for writing in. Okay, um, I'm not going to give it away yet, but I'm in the planning stages of a new phase of the Stephen King cast um, because since I... Uh, completed the chronological order of publication mission statement that still opens up each of the episodes. You know, every episode has been dedicated to, you know, little chunks of stuff here and there. Some cleanup um, episodes, some movies that I um, never got around to reviewing, some short stories I never really got around to reviewing, you know, uh, adaptations when they come out. Of course, you know, the new books and stuff like when Stranger Things first came out because it was so Stephen King inspired. I decided to cover, you know, the first season of Stranger Things, yada, yada, yada. But, um, you know, Lock and Key, you know, you know maybe be uh, reviewing Lock and Key when it comes out. I'm doing The Outsider now. We did Castle Rock. Okay, but... You know, there hasn't really been an anchor. There hasn't been that mission statement that has existed. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the planning stages of, of kind of tooling around and refiddling the Stephen King cast that will keep us still firmly, firmly in the world of Stephen King, but with a, a, a different focus moving forward. So I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it with that. But maybe those of you who follow me on Facebook might see where I'm going with this because I've been putting out some some queries out there um, to, to help orient myself as I head into this, this new direction, which, again, is in the, the very earliest planning stages. Um, so uh, stay tuned, guys, for uh, more updates on that. Um, but I, if, if, I'm, if, I, if I go through with it, um, I'm pretty excited. I think that it'll be fun for, for all of us. Okay, guys, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to read some listener reviews on iTunes. So this is really important, guys. If you have a spare minute and, and you like the Stephen King cast, please head on over to iTunes and leave a review. It can really help me out. So up first, we have Mark WNH, who writes, Let me start by saying I don't usually write a review for podcasts. There's no real reason behind it. I just don't take the five minutes to do so. The cast deserves a review. It's brilliant. As an avid King fan, this is the perfect companion to Kin's work. If you want an in-depth look into a certain book, short story, or adaptation, you've come to the right place. Thank you for your hard work in putting together an entertaining cast. Thank you, Mark N.H., Mark W.N.H., I really appreciate it. Five stars. And then uh, S.H. Borup writes, uh, Best Literary Critique Out There. Five stars. This is the best podcast out there for all things Stephen King. Constant Reader gives thoughtful insight on some of the best horror novels around and then some. Love it. Thank you, S.H. Borup. I really appreciate it. Then we have not even an iTunes user. Five stars. I am not an iTunes user, but I had to write a review and rate it to show this creator how much I appreciate all of his hard work. His content is by far the best King-related work I could find in all of the podcasts out there. He is very responsive when it comes to emails back and forth and very knowledgeable about the whole Stephen King universe. Whenever your feelings, uh, whatever your feelings are on Stephen King, I highly recommend taking a listen. Thank you, Tao to um, Stow W, who is not even an iTunes user. That, that I really appreciate that. And we have 300 pound dad who writes, love it, five stars. This pot, the Stephen King, Stephen King cast is a fun and informative show. I love listening, finishing a Stephen King book, and then going back and listening to the corresponding episode. Thank you so much. And we have Scooty Loop Loop, who writes, what a wonderful surprise, five stars. 
This constant reader has provided us with a jewel in the form of a literary view of the king's great works. He does it with a thoughtful discussion and a surprising level of introspection. This podcast has heart and is so good, a must listen. Thank you, Scooty Loop Loop. Then we have Amy Cleb 77 I, I got a ton lately, and I'm just really appreciative of, of everybody. Um, Amy Cleb 77 who writes, Informative and entertaining. Five stars. I've loved Stephen King for years and years, and haven't ever found anyone to discuss and dissect his works with until I started listening to this pod. Constant Reader is informed, thoughtful, and insightful, but manages to still be fun to listen to. Thank you. Then we have Hyde Bob Now, who writes, Balanced and Straightforward. The Stephen King cast, five stars, is an enjoyable analysis and explication of the body of the work of Stephen King and the various adaptations of many pieces of his work. Uh, uh, Though an anonymous, autonomous analysis, it is highly informative and simultaneously manages to be both entertaining and easy listening. Any fan of King's writings, or even his adaptations for that matter, will find the content worth their while. Value and effort into the analysis and subject matter is clearly apparent and appreciated. Five stars from the Loblollies of East Texas. Thank you, East Texas. We have Tony Helton, who writes Stephen Kingcast Review. Five stars. A great Stephen King podcast. I started reading Stephen King when I was 15 years old, and now I'm 57. I've read and own a copy of every book. I truly enjoy listening to someone who understands the joy of spending time in his universe. And I do. Thank you, uh, Tony, for writing in. And we have Jinker TH, who writes, Really informed and entertaining. Five stars. I discovered the podcast a few months back and have been slowly listening through the backlog as I try to read along before I listen. Very enjoyable and full of great takes on King and as many adaptations. Highly recommended. And lastly, uh, Demon Hunter 666, uh, who writes, uh, Fresh Perspective, five stars. I discovered this podcast after listening to a few episodes of Coast to Coast and Monsters Among Us. I've read Stephen King books since high school and still to this day read a selection now uh, again and have followed the movie adaptations. I really enjoy the insight and fresh perspective of the Stephen King cast. I'll admit I'm not a diehard fan or collector, so each time I listen, there are at least 10 new things I learn about each piece by Stephen King. Clearly, this guy puts in the work to make this all happen. What I do especially like is all the nuances and threads of connections that are observed between the different stories, especially those that connect to the Dark Tower series. So guys... Any one of you, all of you that took the time to write into uh, iTunes and leave a review, I, I, I can't thank you enough. I just hit 400 reviews and ratings, which to me is, is mind-boggling. Uh, in my mind, uh, it's still 2014, and I'm thinking about putting out a podcast, let alone five years later and uh, five plus years later uh, and now I have listeners all over the world and uh, 400 uh, reviews and ratings it, it's just amazing to me so thank you so much um, but if you have any time uh, feel free to, to to help me get to 500 which will be my goal for the next year let's get to 500 five years 500 reviews in five years let's do it I think that that we can make that happen and I can't do it without your help so if you've just been uh, sitting there and been thinking about doing it please help me out be part of the cotet and uh, leave me a review on iTunes
Uh, with the iTunes reviews out of the way, you know what I want to do right now? I want to do some shameless plugs. Uh, I'm going to support some Stephen King cast listeners who are also Stephen King fans and and throw some names out there for, for all of you other Stephen King fans to, you know, if you want to support them, I'm going to give you some options here. So up first we have Carl Johnson, um, a longtime supporter of uh, the Stephen King cast. He just published his first novel. Uh, it's entitled Invasive Species, and you can find it at Hellbound Books. Here is the synopsis. A monster has come to Maldus, Arkansas, and the residents of the small mountain town are too busy to notice. With the, with the monster comes something even more terrifying and threatening than gnashing teeth or razor-sharp claws. The monster has brought change. The residents of the small mountain town are too busy to notice at first, busy with things such as addiction, racism, work, or land deals. Unnoticed, the change the monster brings in its insidious wake spreads like wildfire. Unnoticed, the town of Maldus founds prey, falls prey to an invasious... Oh, my God, I can't speak. Unnoticed, the town of Maldus falls prey to an invasive species. That sounds great and loaded with metaphor. Um, uh, up next, uh, Gavin Castleton. If you have a spare minute, check out the music of Gavin Castleton. Gavin has written songs inspired by the world of horror, which is always a treat. He's a musician, songwriter, and producer from Portland, Oregon, best known for his diverse concept records. His album Home speaks directly to the heartbroken horror fans with its breakup album turned zombie apocalypse narrative. A bullet, a lever, a key, tells the story of an artist who goes corporate and abandons his creative outlet. What makes the record so impactful is that it unfolds reverse chronologically so that the consequences of his fateful life are revealed before the catalyst. His children's album, Travel Light, is a little prince-inspired allegory about religious conformity. Graceland is told from the perspective of an unhinged Staples employee who attempts to get revenge for a humiliating experience at a family wedding. Castleton's latest hip-hop micro-EP, Week Until, uh, recounts the baldness-inducing frustration of five consecutive unproductive meetings at a flailing startup company. In addition to releasing a dozen solo records, Castleton has recorded and performed with a wide range of acts such as The Deer Hunter, Bad Rabbits, Courtney Marie Andrews, Sage Francis. Um, he's performed live on Jimmy Fallon, um, backed by one of his biggest influences, The Roots, um, as well as in-studio for LA's legendary KR, uh, KCRW Morning Becomes Eclectic show. In between albums and touring, Castleton publishes creative arrangements of songs by his favorite arts. His looping covers and tutorials have garnered hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube, as well as the attention of legendary artists like Seal and Peter Gabriel. I'd also like to shout out the novel Ten Mile Creek by listener Kane Macbeth, which you can find on Amazon. And here's the synopsis. After inheriting an old homestead from a relative he never knew, Ben Weiss drives his family to the woods of rural Pennsylvania to spend the summer. He soon discovers an overgrown cemetery and becomes obsessed with learning about the names engraved in stone who settled this land over 200 years ago. But the discovery of an old family secret puts his life, as well as the life of his wife and daughter, in immediate danger. I haven't read it yet, but it sounds right up our alley, doesn't it? Last but not least, you might have heard rumblings about an art house slash psychedelic horror short story, or short, um, not short story, but short film that expands on the possibility of George Dembro returning from the deadlights as an adult, which sounds like a blast. I recently received an email from creators uh, Ryan Gerlich, who let me know about this project, which happened to include Tony Dakota and Ben Heller, who played Georgie and Stan in the 1990 It 
uh, TV series. Uh, once I have more info, I'll let you all know, but I wanted to start to get the word around um, about it. And not only is that uh, movie out in circulation, and I'm sure you could find it, but they're also, and I've definitely heard about this one, um, they're working on a documentary um, about Pennywise and, and the pop cultural significance of Pennywise. So we have legit King fans out there doing legit King work. Um, and I, at some point, um, probably will have them on the show. Uh, so keep, stay tuned uh, for that. And as always, if you like clothing and like to walk around with clothes on, then I strongly recommend heading over uh, to Cotet uh, 19 to get all of your Stephen King-related uh, t-shirts. They are comfortable. They are stylish. Um, Matt just released um, some new prints inspired by Salem's Lot. You can get a Father Callahan baseball tee. You can get a uh, Salem's Lot uh, baseball, like sports logo t-shirt. Uh, it, it's just it, it really good stuff. I have an entire bureau just full of Stephen King t-shirts and you can just walk down the street with a cool Stephen King t-shirt that is so subtle that most people aren't going to recognize. And it's a great calling card for other Stephen King cans who are, who are going to fans that are going to see it and recognize it for what it is. And then you know that you're in the club. So Cotet 19 guys, make sure that you check it out. And now it is time to talk about The Outsider. Guys, I'm so excited about this. Okay, The Outsider, which you can find on HBO, HBO Now, HBO Go. Um, you know, it, it made me realize that, that King adaptations, they, they've given us, you know, I, iconic top-shelf horror such as... Um, you know, The Shining, Carrie, Misery. It's given us, uh, you know, King adaptations have, have given us uh, names, um, pop cultural names for everyday familiarity. Um, example, okay, like, there's a mean dog on your street. Okay, what what are you going to call it? You know, what are you going to refer to it as? Chances are you might refer to it as Cujo. Um, there's a car over there, you know, that is a little bit creepy or maybe it drives too fast. Ah, it's just Christine, right? The, yes, clowns have existed in pop culture, um, the, the evil clown, but really Stephen King put his stamp on it and, and firmly impressed it upon modern pop culture, uh, audiences. Um, he's given us some of the most feel good movies ever made, and that's not something that he's you know, really celebrated for. It's acknowledged, but almost dismissively. Um, but Shawshank Redemption is considered the most popular movie of all time. Think about that. It's the most popular movie of all time. The Green Mile is beloved. Stand by me. You know, so he, he's done a lot with his, with, his, uh, with his written works and his adaptation have given us a wide array of just different types of adaptations. And, of course, there's been the schlock uh, as well, which there, there's something to be said about it. Um, but this is interesting because The Outsider is different. And with The Outsider, we get something we've never gotten before from Stephen King. This is Stephen King doing prestige television drama. Now, we've had Stephen King TV miniseries. We've had Stephen King series before, and that's all been fine and good. But it hasn't, it hasn't had the sheen or the talent or the, the, the shine of just 
golden age of television, uh, of this pristine prestige genre, uh, you know, drama. And, and what am I talking about? I'm talking about shows that we tend to think of as the best of the best, which is Breaking Bad, Sopranos, um, True Detective. Um, and, and, you know, so we are getting that here with The Outsider. We have it presented to us by Richard Price. Um, Richard Price, uh, who uh, gave us most recently The Night Of. Again, another HBO show. And I'll be talking about this because it feels very similar in some ways to The Night Of. But he was a writer on The Wire um, and he, he brings with it that, that, that rich procedural element without it being that, that, that stylized, fake, but fun, Law & Order. Uh, nothing against Law & Order. Law & Order is really good at what it is, but it has this real lived-in, beaten-down, um, worn-in familiarity of precincts and courthouses and the way that people within the the, the system speak to one another um that, that is very apparent here uh, and and jason bateman i'm going to get to this later jason bateman has hit a new level with the outsider who has been in our pop culture since the hogan family later becoming all in the fam no not all in the family uh the hogan sorry valerie's family then the hogan family um, and then, of course, early 2000s brought, well, it was Teen Wolf 2, uh, then early 2000s brought us uh, the return of Jason Bateman with Arrested Development. Um, he's been working consistently. But then with Ozark, um, he, he really took a dramatic turn um, and started working behind the camera, which led to him winning uh, the Emmy this past year. And he was up against some, some massive contenders, including, um, was it Miguel Sapochnik? Is that who it was from Game of Thrones? He, he was up against some Game of Thrones uh, vets, and he won. Um, and you can watch the reaction. Uh, he, he looks surprised. Uh, but now after, and I like Ozark, uh, but now after watching The Outsider, you can see how deserving he is of that Emmy. And I like that we're entering this new phase of Jason Bateman, which is just... This guy's firing on all cylinders in every aspect of the job, whether it be in front of the camera or behind the camera. And the the creative force of Richard Price and Jason Bateman and Stephen King has resulted with an incredibly gripping, fascinating adaptation of one of Stephen King's best novels, period, let alone one of the, the, the better novels in... Um, his more recent works, The Outsider. I, I'm really enamored with it. Uh, we have eight episodes left to go, uh, but I, you know, knowing where the twists and turns are going to be coming within the first two hours, uh, I was I was sitting there completely uh, captivated, impressed, immersed in this world. Uh, th there is really just a, a different level of quality that is occurring within uh, the, the 60 minutes of each of these episodes um, that I, I look forward to to getting into in detail for the remainder of this podcast episode. And and I'm excited to, to talk about it um, because 
you know, I feel that maybe on some recent episodes of the Stephen King cast, I, I haven't been as complimentary towards the the subject matter, Pet Cemetery, and I'll be talking about Pet Cemetery in a little bit, the recent Pet Cemetery, um, and the Institute, you know, um, you know, but with Doctor Sleep and this, I I'm I'm very happy that that I have I I just get to bask in the things that I like about. Um, about a good work of, of Stephen King. Okay, so let's just kind of go through the, the beat by beat before I get in, into the larger themes here. So like right away, when it begins in the pre-credits, let's just say the pre-credits, you know, we get the these overhead shots, these just really masterful overhead shots that make us all look like ants. Um, and this really goes to show that the outsider could be anywhere. All right, it's just a macro view of the world through which the outsider is able to to walk through and 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 spread his reign of of misery and terror. We aside from this this visual, it's also accompanied with an audio of of this peaceful piano which is soon going to be juxtaposed against the gruesome discovery of the body, but what what's on top of that juxtaposition and that 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 jarring tonal clash of peace and absolute horror um this also links two dead children it's it's the music that was listened to by by ralph's um deceased son and it's played during the discovery of another dead child so it links um the 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 two dead children together to ralph which just goes to show how personally he is taking this as it's moving overhead the camera catches the dog walker and we follow the dog walker, which then leads to the van, which then follows the blood. It is a nice progression of tracking. And we're less than a minute in. There is so much that is going on. And again, it just really goes to show the detail um, that, that, that Bateman has as a creative force behind the camera. Um, this peaceful music, like I said, is soon juxtaposed against the discovery of the body. Um, and this is where we meet. Our, our main characters here. We meet Ralph, we meet Tamika, we meet Eunice Sablo, the, 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 the faces of the force and the law and the order that will soon wrap themselves around this crime that will then lead itself to, to Terry. But meeting Ralph, our protagonist, our flawed protagonist, we see him as a good man. Um, who, who, who arrives and quickly takes charge, um, you know, even though we, we see his reaction to the discovery of the body. And he stares at it and he doesn't have a, 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 like a wild reaction, but you can tell that what he is seeing, it's triggering something within him, even if it's taking place beyond his, behind his, his stone face. It, it, it's, a, it's a child no doubt invoking the, the the death of his own child though they died like his wife says in different fashion it's still the the, the forceful removal of potential from this world and then in what i find to be an incredibly powerful moment that leads to the credits ralph is talking to to eunice and 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 asks if the teeth marks are from an animal the answer is no. Ralph hangs his head, cuts to credits. Boom. This is the outsider. I'm 
all in on the ins- on the outsider. It 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 just captures the reality of this world, the heaviness of this world, um, the stakes of this world. You understand the the passion that Ralph is going to have in in in, in the reasons why he is so uh, um, charged against terry and why he wants to take terry down and why he is vindicated in bending the rules to make a show which ultimately will bring about the destruction of terry and hang like an albatross of guilt around his neck all of that is just so it is set up so perfectly in this quick opening right before the credits and then we have the lead up to the arrest um, of ralph interviewing the man with the dog and then our introduction to terry and i'm going to be getting to that in detail um in my final thoughts of the episode but i really want to celebrate the introduction to terry and the maitland family like i said um we get a little bit more detail on ralph um as he is just taking a a a moment of i don't know if i want to call it peace of or whatever it is reflection of just being in his son's room before he he goes out to uh, arrest Terry, and then it's time for him to 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 make his way to the baseball field. The music cuts in; it's a ticking, it's a ticking sound, and it's creating anxiety. Ralph gets the warrant signed. He heads to the car. It's cutting back to previous moments leading up to the arrest of Terry. And this does two things. It shows the overwhelming evidence against Terry, but it also shows the meticulous investigative procedural style of Ralph. It shows that he is a good detective and he has a real lived-in sense of a detective life. And even though this is a Stephen King story, watching it play out really does feel like a detective-slash-police show. And and I can tell, and, and I understand why this is getting as much attention as it is, and why Richard Price is getting a lot of the credit here. Because those that might be unfamiliar with the book are, are seeing this. And and they're, they're listening to the dialogue, which again, I'm going to get to, and, and they're going to see the way that the mystery is presented and the clues and all the 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 evidence and a lot of reviews are saying are 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 heaping that praise at richard price which he's adapting it he's doing a great job but the this is a very very honest adaptation so far of stephen king's novel um the the way this is playing out a lot of the the dialogue beats the, the character interactions that they are they are plucked from Stephen King. Stephen King does like detective books. He does like crime fiction. He has been tinkering and playing within this genre. Um, as I have said before, he started getting into this. You can see the the, the prototype here um, in a good marriage, and then he really started to fine tune the skills in the the Mercedes trilogy. And then here we have The Outsider, um, where he really says, here is what I can do. I can really show you what it would be like if one of my stories took place except it's going to be through the lens of a detective and the forces of the law rather than you know rather than your everyman but people that are dedicated to law and order in a logical world all of a sudden being faced with um the 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 illogical unnameable undefined horror that has permeated my my works what happens then when people that build truth out of 
evidence to point the way um, when that truth fails them. What happens next? That is Stephen King. Richard Price is doing a phenomenal job and making it at come to life. But I, I just want to acknowledge um, that this is so far uh, a very truthful and authentic and faithful adaptation of the uh, uh, of Stephen King's book. And I, I want credit to, to go where credit is due. Um, so then we have, you know, just heartbreaking moments. The, the, the Peter, Mrs. Peterson's reaction to uh, the, the, the news of uh, her son's death. We have each of the, the different witnesses uh, as they, they, they speak to Ralph, uh, the school teacher, puts Terry in the van talking to Frankie. We have that little girl putting Terry coming out of the woods covered in blood. And that is such a terrifying moment because of just, we saw what happened to the little boy's body. So the vulnerability of the girl is pronounced in that moment. The second he takes a step from behind the van towards her, you, even though he, he is, she is telling the story in the present, that, that's the level of danger that Jason Bateman is able to create, both as an actor and as um, the, the director of the scene. That even though we know that she's telling the story, that simple step from behind the van places this monster coming closer to her. And the, the, just the blank nature of his conversation um, and the flat affect of it. When he gets in the van and drives and kind of backs up and stares at her and then waves, it, it's disorienting because it's so strange. It's not what we expect. We expect the Pennywise reaction, right? The, 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 the monster to go lurching after her, you know, with his, his mouth open wide and those classic Stephen King sharp teeth, you know, it's like you know, bite her arm off. But that doesn't happen. He's very calm. He's talking to her, you know, as, as naturally as, as he can. He's, he's being patient. He's staying, he's lingering longer than he should so she can get a good look at him. He's giving a, a weak excuse for the, the, the blood on his face. It's all so strange and, and surreal in its own way and incredibly effective. Uh, that's where we first meet Claude and Terry uh, in the strip club, uh, which leads to the conversation with the, the cab driver who picks up Terry, who asks or who says that he that she's going to need to call in uh, this call the cab to the dispatcher. And we have Ralph looking at the surveillance footage. And what I like about this is that it just looks real. You know, there, there's no fancy stupid technology um it, it, it's grainy you just hear the mouse clicks it's just ben mendelson looking at the the camera it's it's very boring it's very tedious it's very real and i appreciated that and then the arrest happens and we have terry um you know in the dugout and you know we first see the police as shadows coming in from the background and then uh, Glory stands up as she realizes that something is happening. And just uh, Terry, just trying to talk to them. Like, you know, he knows them and he's just trying to talk to them. And he, he doesn't realize what's happening, but realizes enough to comply. And he stays calm. And it, it just shows that he's just a, 
something he's a good man because he is and I'm going to get into the ways in which the the show goes out of its way to very subtly indicate that he is genuine genuinely good but it shows the rationality and the logic and you know what it shows that he is a member of the white you know that all-encompassing Stephen King force that represents good you know, there's a there's a, a moral compass within Terry that knows immediately to just lock in step with law and order, even when he doesn't understand what's occurring. The police are asking him to come. He is going to come. They ask him if he understands. He's not going to fight it right now. He says yes. There's something to be said about that. Um... And then instinctively, he just he knows his process. He knows what needs to get done. He it shows that he is he is thoughtful and forward thinking. He's not uh, panicking. He tells Gloria or Glory to call Howie, which gives us the introduction to Howie, which I didn't know. I I, I didn't know it was going to be Bill Camp. Um, and for those of you who don't know who Bill Camp, he's a character actor. Most and I mentioned the night of. Uh, and he was the, 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 the chief detective or the, the primary detective in The Night Of. And he was fantastic in that. Again, he has a, a real lived-in, authentic, real-world feel to him. And then we just see how, how quickly he, uh, how he takes charge. Um, shows how quickly he can think. And, you know, we think that the, the Maitlands are in good hands here with someone so quick-thinking and take charge. Um... And there's a moment here when when Terry is in the car with Ralph and the detectives when they're starting to needle him. And you see Terry's innocence. And if you see things and if you know where this is going and, and you know the the conclusion uh, of, of, of the, the, the story and you know of Terry's innocence, you, and if you see it through through this perspective and you're not trying to suss out whether or not Terry is is guilty and you just know him to be innocent his his righteousness or not even his righteousness but his his hurt when Ralph asks you know if he ever touched you know his son how dare you ask me that and then we we get a follow-up to that in in episode two phenomenally to know the DA and how eager he is how hungry he is to climb up that ladder and this is where the decisions are made by the police and the DA, um, where, where everything is dis- discussed. So to, to be rushed and theatrical, which, like I said, we are going to place later events uh, around their shoulders. And then after this, um, we see the, uh, the Terry side of the story, quiet moments of the funeral. And it's, it's smart to focus on the brother as much as they do. We, we never see a, a, a massive outpouring of reaction. It's in, in fact, it's, it's bottled up. It's a, it's a noticeable lack of reaction. It's, he's always in silence. There, there, there's no opportunity for him to express remorse. It's, sound has been taken away from him. Um, he, it, it, like I said, it's just it's complete silence. It's the absence of, of any sort of reaction, of any sort of sensory um uh, interaction with the world or his emotions or his feelings. It's, he's been cut off. And all of that speaks to this, this restrained and, and, and contained um, emotion and reaction. And the one time we will see him react 
it will be um, massively consequential. And I think that it was, again, uh, a brilliant choice to present it in this way, to, de to, um, to uh, deprive him of any reaction uh, to the death of uh, his, his brother and then later the death of his mother. And, you know, when, when he, his mother dies, you know, he, he's left alone by, by his father. The doctor is the one that is there to console him. And then we get the, uh, the Night of Part 2, um, which is Terry in prison and the dangers of prison. Um, and, and, and we see just how vulnerable he is. Um, and, you know, then we have uh, Mrs. Peterson's reaction at the dinner table. I kind of got ahead of myself earlier, and which leads to her heart attack. All, again, all quiet. It's all quiet. It is, it is all happening in a, in a vacuum of grief. And then there's the end, okay? As we head towards the conclusion of this episode, supernatural elements start to become introduced as Terry and Glory's daughter... daughter sees someone in her bedroom and that will never not be scary watching a child react to something that you cannot see you know every now and then my daughter will say something and i'll you know um that just scares the shit out of me and it's it's something you know just you know it's nothing you know like she uh you know she woke up um you know when she was younger you know she used to say stuff like i don't like it when the ghosts pick me up you know i i i I, obviously, I don't blame her for not liking that. I didn't like hearing it. It was just her, I'm sure, like, had a dream one night. Um, or, you know, like, if, you know, the, your kid is, like, kind of, like, looking into a corner or staring off in the distance. It's like, what what does she see that I don't see? You know, so it's just, it's when, it's when a child reacts to something that you don't see, that will always be terrifying. That happens here. Um, you know, then at this point, we have the private investigator fighting the footage of Terry at the conference. And at, at this point, it's 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 the game of law where both sides are, are compiling all of their evidence. And at this point, what was a mystery before becomes increasingly strange. Um, and then ultimately, the, this the, the moment that stands out for me here before the episode truly concludes is, is Glory laying out his clothes um, for the upcoming uh pre-trial with the judge knowing where the story is going to go it really feels like she's picking out clothes for a funeral uh i'm going to read the wikipedia summary and then get to my thoughts uh so from wikipedia ralph and terry meet at the prison where terry is held and in light of evidence in favor of terry's innocence ralph expresses uncertainty about his initial decision to have terry arrested the next day joy peterson dies at the hospital as Terry arrives at the courthouse for his arraignment, Ollie, Pierce, Ollie Peterson opens fire, fatally wounding him before being killed by Ralph. With his dying breath, Terry insists on his innocence. The deformed man is shown at the courthouse watching the aftermath of the shooting. Fred Peterson, Frank and Ollie's father, is left the sole surviving member of the family. He promptly attempts suicide by hanging, leaving him to comatose. In light of the shooting, Ralph is put on administrative leave, and a hot-headed detective, Jack Hoskins, is called to fill in for him. The case continues to gnaw at Ralph, who investigates the van used by the killer and identifies that it was in the same location as the Maitland family during their trip to Terry's father earlier that year. While questioning a reluctant glory about that trip, Ralph learns from her daughter Maya that Terry got a small cut on his wrist, supposedly from a male nurse at his father's nursing home. A farmhand discovers a pile of newly discarded clothes in a barn matching the outfit Terry was seemingly seen wearing on security footage after the murder. 
So here are my thoughts. I'll, I'll kind of break it into chunks. So the prison meeting in the beginning. So I already mentioned earlier Jason Bateman and you know winning the, the Emmy for directing this past year, but how can you not believe Bateman's performance during this scene? You know, the monologue that he gives about teaching uh, Ralph's son how to bunt, it's clearly going to be submitted for an Emmy, and it should be submitted for an Emmy, and if he wins that Emmy, it would be well-deserved. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance that is raw and also restrained at the same time, full of emotion, um, full of pathos, wonderfully delivered in, in just with the, the Jason Bateman charm and likability, and your heart breaks for him in this moment because you... You know, at this point, we you believe that he is innocent, and you believe him when he says that he innocent he is innocent. But that is just a home run of a speech. And then we have the walk to the courthouse. Um, and the sad part here is that the characters expect that Terry's going to get out of this. The, the The judge will throw it out because of the fingerprints and 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 the, of the author panel footage. So the fact that he doesn't get to walk out of the courthouse as a free man is just tragic. The potency of this scene, the the way in which Bateman directs it, it is superb. You, you get the the sense of just the media circus and how. How, how it's barely being held together as he's making his way and how anything can go wrong and the the the, the shots fired the scene takes place and then it's replayed it's slowed down and you, you you feel each gunshot i mean when tamika gets shot you gasp the the pregnant woman just got is her baby okay it's just it happens so fast even when it's slow it happens so fast and that's it. That's a big, big moment. Uh, Terry dies. And that is shocking. You know, we live in a post-Game of Thrones world, so that shock value has diminished somewhat. On some level, we all, um, you know, expect uh, a Ned Stark, uh, you know, to be introduced and then die. So, um, but but still, it, it, it doesn't take away from the tragedy of this story. Um... And I remember reading the book, how shocked I was. Um, and I, I think it must have been shocking for, I'm not surprised if it would be shocking for audiences. You know, Jason Bateman, he's a star. You know, why wouldn't we expect this to be the story of him declaring his innocence, proving himself, and then fighting the evil that framed him, right? But no, we don't, we don't get that. We, we, it, it gets reframed here as the story of the man who rushed to judgment and now has to um, avenge the, the honor and the memory of the man who's um, who died because of his actions. It just it gets turned on its head. Um, then the aftermath of of the of everything we have Mr. Peter hanging Peterson hanging himself, which is so sad. All of this is sad, and that's done so well with the the, the ticking. The ticking clock and and the frames jumping as the runner um, is jogging along the street and it's the 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 the, the, the body swings through the window at the, the exact ticking of the clock. It, it's just framed and just delivered so well. And small little details like the doctor trying to find someone to sign off of him because there's no one. There's, there's no one. This is an emptiness to this world now. Um, and, and it just speaks to the loneliness here that the only world he had is just gone, completely gone. It's so sad. 
Um, Ralph is living with the, the, the guilt of such a colossal fuck-up here. It's his burden to bear, but it also shows that he's a, a good man who wants to make it right. And his, his, his quiet self-punishment is juxtaposed with the introduction of, of Jack, the detective who comes to fill in for him, who lashes out at others. Whether it be the, the, the boar he kills just to kill because he's mad that his trip got cut early or the strip club patron who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Then we have the, the DA resigning um, while discussing uh, Roanoke and, and, and disappearing uh, fighter jets, uh, which is haunting in its own right when you have someone that is the semblance of, of reality in the sense of, of law and order um, and, and logic and someone that's supposed to build truth up from pieces of evidence and, and prove reality, who, who now cannot explain it. There, there is a an existential horror in his admittance that some things you cannot prove, you, that pieces do not make up a puzzle that our minds can rationalize, that there are, there are holes in reality. Um, that, that's haunting. Um... And then Ralph is just desperately trying to make sense of this, despite what the DA says. Ralph needs to prove that Terry now was innocent. He needs to make sense of this for his own sake, for the for the memory of Terry to 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 um, you know ease his own guilt for all of the above. He needs to make sense of this and. Him getting, uh, you know, zeroing on 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 Ohio and and chasing the van and, and just doing what he can and, and even recognizing that something as small as a cut can be significant. And this is what I like about it. Think about all of just the tiny cuts that you get throughout your life when you, you scrape against a, a, a I don't know, the, the edge of a, a table or you, you, you scrape your, your shin or, you know, you're doing leaves and a, 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 a branch just, you know, kind of scrapes your skin. You, you, you walk around with minute cuts here and there um, all the time and, and how many of them throughout your life do you remember you don't because it's just it's a part of life and so to to zero in on something as insignificant as just a, a tiny cut um, just really goes to show to the meticulous nature of, of Ralph and how willing he he's able he, he is to go to to prove that Terry now did not do this and then the the episode concludes on another supernatural note with a, a, a the clothes in a in a barn um, covered in goo and there's there's a danger there that Bateman is able to capture we don't see anything other than the clothes but we also see a lot of uh, hay bales and corners and there's the attic and there's a lot of spaces in there where someone could be hiding and there's a danger of the farmer being in there in that moment in the uncertainty of where these clothes came from and the fact that that space was violated by someone who left these clothes behind that someone entered this world of safety and left something behind we don't know what that is yet you know, this farmer doesn't know the significance of these clothes. But that world has now been tainted by this outsider. Um, I want to wrap things up. Uh, I want to talk about my final thoughts. I've, I've mentioned this before. Immediately, this show nailed 
um, the authenticity of this world. Um, and I try not to lift something up by putting something down, but I, I, I find this is a perfect example to illustrate my point that I made in the Pet Cemetery review of the uh, 2019 movie this past year. I was very frustrated with the uh, final product of that movie because the content is... Well, the, the death of a child, the death of family, the death of hope, of potential, all of that. It is, it is a, a, of the bleakest stories that Stephen King has ever written, and it's supposed to just be pure horror on a fundamental level. Uh, and so in order to do that, you need to really sell uh, the, the family and make it feel real and make it painful and the, that just didn't happen in Pet Cemetery for me because it didn't have that lived in quality of, of a recreation of a reality of, of the, the, that hidden um, secret language that a family has built of routines and um, habits and, and shared memories and inside jokes and um, the language that a family creates um, within its own units um, and, and, and the familiar patterns that we all uh, have with one another when we share space. N none of that was present. The, the, the atmosphere that, that a family creates and what a family is, it's, it's, the, it's the air that, that builds up from the, the love that you share that's built on those relationships that that fills the spaces that that make up the the house that that you're living in that's that needs to be present that was not there in pet cemetery it was full of just your basic oh can you believe that we're living in this house now wow that's amazing i can't you know when i when we traveled all the way up here like i didn't know it was going to be like this and and then, you know, conversations like, well, tomorrow's going to be a big day, so you got to get to sleep now. Good night. I love you. I love you, too. It was just, it's your rote, basic uh, conversations that just felt inauthentic. That's not present here in, the, in I almost said the night up, uh, in The Outsider. Immediately upon <clears throat> meeting the Terry and his family um, in the kitchen, he's making magic pancakes they're asking him why he didn't use the, the, the right color dye. He has to explain himself. He's talking just like a, a, on a tangent, like, isn't it strange how these two colors make purple? Like, it, it's not necessary, but real dialogue isn't necessary. Um, and it, it speaks to, like, a, a, a real quality of a real family. And then, you know, he starts talking, like, about his baseball game. It's delivering exposition, but... You know, he just wants his kids to be excited for him. That feels real. And then the kids start talking about God and asking, like, a legit question. If two teams pray to God that, you know, each team wins, who's God going to root for? Great philosophical question that two young kids should be asking. And then, you know, the dad cracks a joke. The mom's not having it. She doesn't want her kids asking critical questions about God at this point. Um, you know, and, and all of this is communicating... The, the, the lives of each of them and how Terry immediately defers to to um, Glory 
And it all of this just was so quick. It was so quick. But it spoke volumes about them as a family. And it just spoke volumes about the care that went into building that scene and the reality of this world and the people that live within it. And even though it might not be your family, it's recognizable on some level because it felt truthful due to the, the, the care and detail and attention that went into small moments of a dad making pancakes for his kids before he goes out to a baseball game. And in that moment, he's making jokes, they're talking about God, they're showing their values. There was a lot packed in to a small amount of space and a small amount of time that was m more truthful to life and family than the entirety of two hours that I saw in Pet Cemetery. Uh, you know, and, and then also little things. I, and I just really want to just take these moments to just share just m moments that spoke to me about the um, authentic authenticity here. Tamika immediately filling Ralph in about the body um, when we first meet Ralph. Ralph seeing the man with the dog, <sighs> you know, asking if that's the guy who discovered it. Um, and then just a quick comment that he shouldn't be here. It's just a fine little detail. It doesn't mean anything. You know, it didn't have to be there. It just, it shows, you know, a, a very naturalistic and distinct flair of, of dialogue. You know, Ralph asking Eunice if the teeth marks were from an animal. The answer is no. Ralph hangs his head. There's no, damn it, there's no screaming at the sky. It's just quiet. It's defeating. Ralph in that moment is defeated. Little things like Ralph asking the, the dog walker, did you touch the body for any reason? You know, just to, to see if he was still alive. Pause still alive great great moments of dialogue and something that struck me they all dress like normal people Th this is not super stylized fashion all the guys are dressed like dads all right they're wearing polos <laughs> like kind of ill-fitting polos that aren't incredibly flattering they're wearing uh, jeans that are not in style with like you know just functional sneakers that they got like probably on discount uh you know like they 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 are not stylish people they don't have to be but they feel real and i really appreciated that and of course there's the direction of the show i mean the the it, it's just beautifully done i mean like I, I mentioned the overhead shot that that started it um but another thing that's great thematically speaking is we, we have a lot of voyeuristic shots where the camera is positioned outside of a room looking in. You know, we, we position in hallways looking into a room and then panning in. It, it gives the perspective of someone on the outside looking in. Very, very smart. Jason Bateman is absolutely killing it. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, already, I already mentioned the... Jason Bateman's bunting speech. But, I mean, okay, let me, let me actually just think about this. Is Jason Bateman the quintessential or uh, apotheosis of Stephen King protagonists? It, it isn't, isn't this the role that he was meant to play? Like, can't you, like, if this was 1994, 1995, 96, like, can't you see him taking the role that Stephen Weber would have played? As Jack Torrance, can't you see him taking the role? Tim Daly played in Storm of the Century. Uh, so I, I, it just it feels that 
but there there is such a going back to authentic i there there was just he is playing a character that is very much true to who he is it seems as a as a person and just seems so honest it's great it's great i'm glad that he was in this um when he said you ruined our lives it was so quiet so potent so powerful and there's like small moments that just show that are there to show the audience that terry is a good guy you know the the girl who saw him bloody instinctively thought that he was fighting a bad guy and got hurt and then he takes a more talented player off the field to let a smaller more um inclined to strike out player have a turn he plays fair there, there's moments that signal that he is a good guy um and in in upcoming episodes i'm sure i will talk more about ben mendelson this is the fantastic role for ben mendelson i'll talk about it more um but I, like i said i just i'm going to wrap up this episode now uh but guys make a long story short i love it it's great I'm very glad it's here it's been living up to my expectations i was really looking forward to this uh and i look forward to the following eight weeks where i will review this episode all right guys you can Write to me at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Please leave a iTunes review. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, I've been doing a lot of work on Facebook lately, uh, really interacting with people, throwing out a lot of cool questions, and having some good conversations. So follow me over there, and I'll talk to you then. Um, okay, guys. So I'll see you here next week. Uh, and may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I'll see you here for episode three of The Outsider where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast.